0: Do you want me to start with restaurants or cocktails?
1: Uh, what would you like to start
0: with? I'll start with cocktails, eh?
1: I don't All like. right. The New Brunswick Archaeology Podcast featuring your hosts, Gabe. Welcome back to the New Brunswick
0: Archaeology Podcast. I'm Gabe Reinick, and I am in Manchester, New Hampshire, as I am sometimes. But like I am every fortnight, I'm joined by Ken Holyoke. And Ken is in Lethbridge, Alberta. How are you, Ken?
1: I am very well. But, uh, we are, I submitted my grades today. boy. Um, I have a I have a seasonal cocktail in front of me. And uh, yeah, I think uh, it's good. Um, That's great. we, we We've uh, we've gone through a bit of a plague in our house this week, but Uh uh, got it out before Christmas, which is good. That is good. I mean, it's sort of one of those things like getting
0: sick before something can be a little comforting sometimes, right? Because you sort of say, well, I've already had the illness. So assuming this clears up in time for uh, in time for Christmas, everything's fine. Exactly. Exactly. And and you're inoculated.
1: uh, Yeah. And you're you know, your your immune system's working on overload. So.
0: It's true. And so the listener can't see this, but that when Ken said he's a seasonal cocktail, he rolled in and this is a, a chalice of something brown. It's got a, I, I believe a cinnamon stick in that Ken.
1: Mm, and, does. um,
0: and, and you told me it's a, um, a cider margarita. What,
1: yeah. um, would you care to share for the listener, the recipe for that? Uh, that is two ounces of tequila, half an ounce of lime, half an ounce of Cointreau. And I put three ounces of cider in it. Um, uh, and and it calls for a little bit of maple syrup in there. So, if you like it a little bit sweeter, you could add that. I did not. I kind of like the tart, tartness. But I put okay. the maple syrup around the rim for the salt. So, you get a little bit of that sweetness well, That's um, great. When you drink it. Yeah. And for the American can, listener. Cheek um... vigorously. That's oh, exc- yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And so, for the American listener, an ounce is uh, about equal to a cup. And so you just you just set that up, and uh, <laughs> you'll have a great uh, a great Christmas. We're um we're sponsored uh, as we are uh, every week by the Association of Professional Archaeologists of New Brunswick. They are the finest professional association um around that does not have a website, um but they will someday, listeners. So you just uh, stay tuned. You'll hear about it here. And uh, Ken, we are also sponsored, uh, and we continue to be overwhelmed by their generosity, uh, by Shirk and the University of Lethbridge.
1: Yeah, the uh, research. Uh, so we want to thank, uh, again, the Office of Research and Innovation Services at University of Lethbridge for uh, helping us develop the our ULETH Shirk Exchange Grant, which is uh, bringing you this podcast every couple of weeks.
0: That's right. And uh, so thank you very much, Lethbridge. Thank you very much, Shirk. Uh, and, uh, you know, listener, look, we're, we're getting to the end of the year here and uh and we are still the new brunswick archaeology uh podcast it's been ken it's been about a year it's not quite a year that we've been doing this um but it's but getting more close or less, though getting i've awfully, actually close
1: it's getting close enough that i'm getting a subscription renewal for uh for apple podcast connect
0: oh fantastic and uh thank you uh left listener who's about to get the uh the bill for that uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um and and but uh, you know, Ken, I think at the beginning we we um we were more convinced that this show would be easy to name. We thought, um, because it, it's it's no secret to our listeners, I think that um, uh, just in terms of sort of raw intellect. So there are many things about our listeners. They're better looking than the average podcast li- listener. They're um they're nicer. You know, they're more likely to sort of help old ladies across the street um but that's not all they're also more intelligent than most podcast listeners and so we thought our listenership would be able to crack the puzzle that we could not which was to rename this podcast and we thought you know if they did uh we'd be able to fairly easily you know just just help them cash in on some of the sweet podcast activities we engage in you know whether that's the daytona 500 um whether it's uh some of the other uh, you know a trip to venice uh we've had a number of bourbon cruise a bourbon cruise yeah in fact um we've had a number of great options and so um what we're doing ken and i actually each have a prize read uh for you here listener because what we uh, it occurred to us well it's the end of the year it's new year's everyone's in a giving mood i think at this time of year you know how's your christmas wrapping going ken Uh, i am done actually oh my gosh
1: really yeah yeah, legitimately, like, I, I think I wrapped the last gift last night. Well, there's one gift for my daughter that we that will that we have to wrap uh, probably sometime in the next couple of days. But uh, but yeah, it's pretty much done. Right. I was I was on top of it this year.
0: That's good, good for you. I'm not even done my Christmas shopping and it's going to be New Year's, <laughs> but we, we do things a little later out here. Uh, and, um, yeah, the listener can't see this, but, um, but Ken is sitting in front of a closet and he has a, what appears to be a car battery hooked to something at child height that if a, <laughs> if a kid touches that, it's going to look like the first scene from Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so Ken, um, what I was, th- what is it that an archeologist needs most? Uh, a sharp trowel? No. Try again. No. Uh a right in the rain field notebook. We're getting closer. One more try. Uh a good shovel? No. Ken, what an archaeologist needs most <laughs> is a lifetime supply of Sharpie markers.
1: Oh, yes, that is true. Yeah. So
0: for the list the listener, and, and that this is not all, but we're gonna start this off. And, and so but for the listener who uh we're gonna keep it short and sweet this time, but for the listener who comes in with a lucky prize read, one of your options will be that every month for the rest of your life you will receive can <laughs> have you ever you've been in uh, like a a staples where they've got not the not the single sharpie not the pack that's in the see-through thing but you know the hefty cardboard box down on the floor yep that's right listener for the rest of your life you will get in the mail from the new Brunswick archaeology podcast 24 sharpie markers that's right that's basically a sharpie marker for most of the days of the month, we assume you take some days off on the weekend, although I mean, if you're as committed as we are, you might not. And that means, listener, whenever you reach into your cruising vest, you are going to find the sharpest possible. You did not to be one of these flat ones that you sort of scrawl, It's yep. not going to be yep. one of these ones that you have to sort of like get started on the pant leg of your field pants in the rain. Yep. It's going to be fresh. It's going to smell uh, like burning fuselage. That's how fresh it is going to be. <laughs> Uh, and so, listener, so Ken, if the listener would like that uh, lifetime supply of Sharpie markers, um, that's not all. We're actually going to throw in every Christmas, we will send you um, a selection of bags from forestry suppliers uh, in nice. different sizes. Also, very useful. Yeah. Um, and we are going to. Uh, that's not all. You're going to get a special first edition uh, New Brunswick Archaeology Podcast clipboard.
1: Oh, oh, that would That's be right.
0: that'd be an exclusive item. That'll be a very exclusive item, uh, heavy duty, um, and uh, we're gonna we're still working on the exact details of the manufacturer on that. But um, I have used the phrase Kevlar with our printing press, uh, <laughs> and I think it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a pretty great item. So, Kenny, if if the listener would like to get in on that action, where would they send the new um the new name for this podcast?
1: They would send it to New Brunswick Archaeology at gmail.com. That is uh, New Brunswick Archaeology, all one word, and archaeology spelt A R C H A E O L O G Y, New Brunswick Archaeology at gmail.com. That's
0: great. And so, but Ken, I understand that we have a second option as well.
1: Yeah. Well, so, you know, it's the holiday season. Um, sure is. And, uh, uh, you know, we both enjoy festive uh, fun. And what's, your, what's one of your favorite parts of uh, uh, sort of the lead into the holiday season? When you say the
0: the lead in, you know, the um, I mean probably the moment where I've submitted all of my grades and I realize that uh, there's nothing involving like real pants
1: for the next month. That's good. That's I guess that is a good. But what is your what is an activity that you like taking part in? Is it uh, cutting down a tree, uh, you know, um, a festive party, something like that? Uh, yeah, Nadine and I do a, a big Christmas party every year that we uh, we enjoy a lot. Yeah. Well, one of my favorites is making uh, gingerbread houses, and uh, okay. and if the if if you listener are the lucky person to rename this podcast in Christmas 2024, uh, uh, compliments of the U.S. Shirk Exchange program, we will fly Gabe and I to your house. We will bake up uh, two or three trays of the finest. Construction grade gingerbread. But listener doesn't uh, know this, but Bake Up was actually Ken's frat name when he was in university. <laughs> we will take you to Bulkburn and purchase a wide selection of candy construction materials. And uh, uh, between Gabe and I, we will serve you cocktails throughout the evening as we construct a gingerbread house uh, uh, with you. Uh, this uh, and And what we will do with this gingerbread house is Gabe is an an expert in household archaeology and knows all about spatial patterning. And so while a lot of people focus on the outside of a gingerbread house for this (laughs) design, what we're going to be focusing on together with you, listener, is how we arrange the inside of this gingerbread house. And so uh, uh, once we finish these, uh, Gabe will take the gingerbread houses back to the lab. Um, He'll study it, um, probably tell you about the spatial syntax going on inside this space. Um, and you will learn more about what your ginger people were doing uh, in their ginger house uh, than you could ever think to know before that. And so that and, and that is if you can rename the New Brunswick Archaeology podcast.
0: Yeah, it's so true, listener. And and the thing is, the, even for the Americans here to just make them more comfortable, um, we're going to have graham crackers and ounce crackers available. <laughs> um for the for the process it's it's really whatever you need And so so ken that's a hell of a prize where would uh, where would the, the lucky listeners send in to um to have that experience in the indexical and uh, in canonical signaling
1: and as always that would be going to New Brunswick archaeology at gmail.com New Brunswick archaeology all one word archaeology spelled a-r-c-h-a-e-o-l-o-g-y newbrunswick archaeology at gmail.com and for all of your internet needs just drop the gmail off of that and you've got the hottest website on the internet newbrunswickarchaeology.com
0: you sure do and listener in the new year and, and we're going to be talking about new year goals here but one of our new year goals is to make that website have things on it yeah um we yeah we like to start small here at the new brunswick archaeology <laughs> well no we start we start big i think but we um uh you know we 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 rec- we we're willing to play small ball we play what they call baseball station to station you know we uh we're we're uh we set goals that we can achieve. And we think yeah. one of the goals that we can achieve in the next year is having something on that website. So Ken, if you go to the, to not the website but the uh Gmail address,
1: do we have any mail? Uh no, we don't actually have any mail. Uh no, we're we're fresh out. We had uh uh so we're we're waiting on the next letter. Um we got lots we stuff from Squarespace um and uh Podcorn. Squarespace says that our trial has expired. Uh oh um, I'm not sure what that means, uh, but
0: uh, but well, I'm listener, guessing
1: as, as I as I was trying to fumble through on the last show, trying to figure out how I get back to the uh, dummy website I made in Squarespace. Um, uh, I I don't think I can do that now. So interesting.
0: Well, listener, if if uh, if you're one of our many listeners from the Balvaney Scotch Company and you would <laughs> like to help pay for our uh, Squarespace subscription, uh, you just write your credit card number on the box of a, outside of a bottle of Balvenie scotch and you just mail it to us and we'll make sure that you're, you're thanked appropriately here on the next episode. So um, Ken, since we're talking a little bit about the the podcast, I think one uh, we, we made the point here, we're not quite a year in, but um, we thought it might be uh, interesting to share with the listeners some stats. We've enjoyed getting these, um, I think they're called Spotify wraps. Is this the thing where? Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. The, I don't use, you use, do you use Spotify? I do. I do. In fact, our household listened to so much Taylor Swift this year that uh, part of our Spotify wrapped was a personalized message from Taylor Swift uh, as uh, uh, one of her, one of her. We were in the top 8% of global uh, listens uh, for Taylor Swift. this. Oh, this my goodness. Year.
0: So are, are you the T-Swift listener or um, it's the kids? Uh, uh, my you daughter and the kids?
1: loves loves Taylor Swift.
0: Yeah. Wow. I, d- I didn't know Swifties started that young. Yep, they do the um so i i don't use um spotify but the uh but i enjoyed on instagram seeing um i think some spotify's do uh kind of what is your number one podcast of the year yeah and and we had some listeners who uh messaged us on instagram with theirs and uh we really appreciated that but i thought it would be nice to share some of our own uh stats with the listeners um yeah Definitely a little I'm confusing some
1: down myself actually
0: Fantastic, and this is going to be a little confusing, listener, because the numbers don't line up perfectly. Because the way that your podcast um, numbers are calculated, w- because we appear on different platforms, is apparently a lot of inference that's involved in this process.
1: Yeah, and and I and I think based on some of the discordance in the numbers, there's also some um, pri- uh, uh, proprietary uh, statistical information that isn't doesn't make it through to our host website.
0: Yes, I think which that's Which is an true. aggregator. Yeah. Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, Ken, but I think that we've had about 25 episodes. That's correct. And our total number of listens is something like 5,000.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's in that ballpark. On, on, on Apple Podcasts right now, we're sitting at 4850. Not bad. Um, and so... That would probably be fairly accurate. I think on RSS we're somewhere around 45. Yeah, I'm seeing yeah, just shy of 45 on yeah, RSS. And I and I haven't checked the Spotify stats. Um, but on YouTube alone we have around a hundred or so. So we're we're mm-hmm. at around five thousand, which is incredible. Like uh Oh know, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we have uh listeners are listening for 40 to 90 hours a month to the mm-hmm. podcast um and and take a guess how many all-time hours of our podcast people have listened to oh i didn't even see that's that stat. uh let me think so do you mean
0: like cumulatively like if you took every listener in every hour yeah so ken I, i'm told that some of our listeners actually prefer to enjoy this show while like falling asleep you know all, all sort of like you know relaxing with a glass of wine and a um a uh a summer sausage size blunt sometimes i think but yeah, they um yeah. but uh let's see here so 25 episodes at uh the three two hours sometimes
1: i have no idea it'd be a lot it's so it's 662 hours just on apple podcasts yeah um which I think is right. And it, that works out to almost 28 days <laughs> of, of streaming of the, of the show. That's right. Listen, is...
0: by December of next year, we could have reached Noah flood levels of, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we could, you could last the whole flood listening to the, yeah. to the podcast.
1: And, and I think that, I think I, I think I've sorted this correctly in terms of the, the all time. Yeah. Uh, that that's that's how it works out. Yeah,
0: that's cool. Um, our most popular episode continues to be our intro, which I think is a little too hex. I don't think that was our best.
1: Um, yeah, so it's it's the most listened to on RSS, but the most hours streamed on Apple um, is actually our Paleo Indian episode. Clovis Folsom and Plano. Oh, oh my. By, don't by almost 10 hours, actually.
0: That's really interesting.
1: Yeah. So. so that's perhaps a topic
0: we should return to.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Seems um, like the the listener is into paleo content, so we'll keep that in mind, listener. Yep. And uh, and uh, what are we at for like the the subscriber numbers on RSS? Uh, somewhere between forty and fifty. Yeah, and and on Apple we have seventy followers. Okay. Um, and we have a hundred and six engaged listeners. That is, and and I think, and what that means is that there are a hundred and six people that listen to at least. Twenty minutes of every episode, um, which is incredibly impressive. So that really
0: is. We appreciate it. I mean, the. Um, and I, I think Ken, when we started this, um, well, I, I mean, we, there's no need to make this a secret. This is much. This is doing much better than we thought it would.
1: <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 and, and when I say impressive, I mean like, like I'm I'm kind of blown away that um, you listener have have taken the time to listen to us. Like I, it is. Yeah. Um, you know, I, like, I don't think either of us are known for our, sort of our creative pursuits. Um, no. and, and this is sort of both creative and academic, but, um, it is, it is, you know, they're, um, it's humbling in some ways to kind of just be, have people tune in because they, they enjoy hearing the podcast and learning and that, and, uh, and, and, Oh, well, I haven't
0: found it humbling at all. It's just pouring coal into the furnace of my ego. <laughs> <But> yeah. <laughs> i'm slowly you know turning into a uh, an influencer here
1: yeah yeah exactly, exactly. i could be so. T swift by this time next year maybe maybe you maybe we'll have to start doing customized uh, thank yous oh through the spotify wrapped uh for uh, my top podcasts we might so, need
0: what's what's that um that program that rudy giuliani is now using to try to to raise money it's you can, like leave <laughs> um no but I mean, it's like you can you leave like a message. It's called Cameo, I think. You leave some oh, sort of message. Yeah, Is that yeah, what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. yeah celebrities
1: yeah. like record short videos for you. Yeah. 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 They yeah, yeah. start a Cameo account, although I, I, I think we might be quiet. But, uh, it, might, it
0: might be a slow Cameo account, but uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I'll tell you what,
0: listener, if you've got any Cameo needs, we'll handle those gratis on the front end here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's also it's also a visual media Cameo. And and thus far, we are we are solely audio uh, podcast even on YouTube. We we don't we don't include the videos on YouTube. It's just uh it's just the audio stream.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I mean look look listener, if you've been if you've been slightly turned off by my lispy New England accent, just wait till you see my receding hairline. So <laughs> yeah, we've done this strategically. Um okay so do we have any other um interesting data to share with the listener about uh, about the podcast? This is sort of a state Uh-oh. of the podcast episode we're sharing with the listener. So yeah, the archaeology content will be a little minimal on this, but we just wanted to kind of catch you up on where we are, um, and and share a little holiday cheer.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think uh, no, it's it's been, um, it's it's kind of neat to see, uh, our our reach grow. Um, this has kind of continued been sort of a slow, steady trend through the year. Um, that we've picked up people as we've gone along, and and uh, and appreciate you whenever you know when you're talking about your new podcast. If you want to share about the show, we're happy to have new listeners all the time, and. And based on the number of time people number of times people have listened to the first episode I'm, I'm guessing that there are people coming on and listening to the first for the first time um you know as, as you as, as Gabe pointed out that might not even be the best place to start with the show yeah. Un- unfortunately <laughs>
0: yeah we should it's too bad we kind of can't rethink that slightly i don't i don't know that we were at our best but
1: yeah yeah i guess we could uh, we could retcon it you know and do uh 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 you know do a a just a re-release or something that, uh, yeah. It's a cult, I, I, uh, um, remake. Yeah. Yeah. This
0: is like how, um, is it the the Beatles uh, song Eleanor Rigby that in the initial, um, pressing it had, uh, I can't remember if it's the left or the right speaker just disappears for two seconds, but no, <laughs> nobody noticed in mono. You know? <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I was more thinking of like the, you know, the three different Spider-Mans in the last 15 years. Yeah, well, see, I didn't watch any of them, so... The... Oh, okay. Well, there you go.
0: <laughs> so, the, uh, and, and one thing I just wanted to share with, or I guess say, is that um, we uh, really appreciate that it's... Uh, I had a thrill this um, this year, which was meeting someone who I hadn't met before, and we're now friends, but um, who listened to the podcast before I, I met them
1: yeah that is and really that cool
0: was really cool yeah and so um yeah. i mean they'll they'll know who they are um but but uh, that was a lot of fun so thanks
1: i think i think the closest thing i had to that was the t uh the tsa agent that was thrilled that he had met somebody <laughs> who's was making a podcast <laughs> <laughs> the uh yeah he's the, the uh hopefully we inspired him he's
0: now running a podcast called cavity search (laughs) (laughs) behind the glove exactly okay so that's uh, some exciting uh data for our listener um but ken uh what was the uh you did some some archives work what was your favorite artifact this year
1: uh yeah so i jotted down a couple things actually and and, uh and the listener can't see this but i'm going to show these to gabe because i actually don't know if you've seen this one maybe not um so I just actually finished um working on uh analyzing a couple of sites from the oh, middle cool. of the Lost Oak, so along the Tobic River um and the Is that the... incised Ken? It is. Yeah. So this is a groundstone object. So this is uh basically a polished uh, a slate stone. Um so this is a sedimentary rock. Um heavy uh almost ov- sort of sub sub rectangular to oval in shape. Um and it's been ground down uh, to sort of polished on almost straight sides with very flat surfaces on either side. It's a kind of a narrow um, uh, rock. But uh, uh, on the sides of it um, are a number of striations, which are sort of engravings that indicate it was probably used as some kind of abrasive stone or maybe a sharpening stone. Um, but on the the faces of it, so um, what we would call the obverse and the reverse side. So these are the sort of the widest flat part of the of the the stone there is actually an incised design of a zigzag line which is actually really fascinating mm. because um uh, incised stones are actually very uncommon in the maritimes um, and this would be probably the first one i've ever seen from an archaeological collection in new brunswick although i think you've seen some from the quadi region have you not yeah the,
0: there's the holtz point pebbles which yeah. um have incisions i mean Those incisions reminded me, actually, though, of the uh, Maritime Archaic uh, Bayonets from Cal Point. They've got that zigzag. um,
1: So how old would that be? That's from the site up near um, uh, Grand Falls, right? Uh, Up on the Tobik River. um, uh, And so this site, uh, not entirely sure on the date, but based on the ceramics, is probably somewhere between probably about 2,000 to 1,500 years ago. Um, although some of the ceramics indicate it may be more recent than that. That's um, very cool. And uh, um, probably be going to be getting dates back from it sometime in in 2024. So we'll very find cool. out. Um, keep the listener uh, in the loop there on the publication. Yeah, yeah. That, and, and, yeah. and at some point in the next, probably in the next year, I'll be uh, publishing some of this data. So I had a Good. great student who helped me out this fall at the university. She was doing, she's a senior undergraduate student who helped me in the lab. Um, did this as part of her independent study um, so she and I were working in the lab on this site so this is the CGDT2 site Everett um, uh, from the uh, from the and it's across from a, a sort of more famous site called the Dead Man's Pool uh, yeah. which is sort of a transitional archaic early woodland site that uh, David Sanger has published on but this one was also excavated by Sanger in the 19 late 1960s uh, but has never been published on so okay um, I was gonna it say did, it's not in the literature at all is it no. Uh, so Adrian Burke talks about it um, because he references the ceramics that were recovered there um, okay. in his dissertation. Um, and I think he looked at the collection, but I don't think he did any in-depth analysis on it. Um, so nice. for example, like the flakes have never been independently measured. Um, and so, oh, interesting. Balkan in, in flake lots. Yeah. Uh, so that's one of the things we did. Um, and and I think the uh, pretty close second to that or or right around would be um, you and I had, and this might be on your list, um, uh, uh, Gabe and Trevor Dow and I, uh, had the opportunity to, um, work with the Bailey Indian Artifact Collection, which yep. is held by the UNB Special Archives and, um, or Archives and Special Collections. Um, and there are some really incredibly unique stuff in that collection. Absolutely. And, and among them is this, uh, uh, glass or, or quartz bead, rose yeah. quartz bead that is, uh, a real enigma. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the listener sort of... can't
0: see me crossing this off my list, but the, yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: well, yeah. I, I assume this would be on your list. And then yeah. also that uh, the groundstone frog that was in that collection.
0: Yeah. So I specifically remember the frog because we were there with WNB and uh, a couple of folks from WNNB uh, said, so like, what would be like this? And I was like, "Uh, nothing. I, I've... Yeah. It's like
1: one of one, I think. You yeah. Know? I, like I, you... I
0: haven't seen anything that even looks like it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like Dave. So Dave Black last week or on the last episode talked about um, this Popeye Birdstone, right? That it was that, you know, it's one of it's it's possibly one of one in New Brunswick. And and there are a number of things in that Bailey collection that I think really are one of one.
0: Yeah. You know? um, yeah, it's it's a cool collection. And I think we're going to be. Yeah. Um... Well we're hoping to work more on that here in the new year, so that'll be yeah, exciting. yeah, continue yeah. the
1: research on that and and uh, and share that with the listeners as well so yeah,
0: absolutely and and that's been a fun project um, yes. the uh so so that both that bead actually and um well, I mean, you could almost pick anything out of that collection and it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah. there's a bunch of interesting stuff in there um yeah there's uh, some gigantic groundstone in there,
1: yeah. Yeah, there's like a, a couple of things that would be like um were maybe bark beaters or like um um what are the what's the term for the one that like for crushing corn, like not I'm not like not mono matates, but like there were a couple of fairly large oh, I'm not sure. um uh crushers basically yeah. that look like they're probably for grinding um uh you know, corn or wheat or yeah. or, or other grains or starchy um, uh, you know, seeds, basically stuff like that, which is again, uh, truly unique. Um, absolutely. uh, That kind of stuff is, is, is not well, I mean, I don't think hardly any of it has ever been published on. And, and, uh, and if you know about it, it's probably because you've seen it in a private collection, um, uh, or, or, you know, on a tour of arc services at the collection at some point, you know?
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, you know and actually one of the things I was glad that we um we got in this season was talking with uh Bonnie Popleto and Dave black just about the importance of uh collectors working with collectors so um that that relates to that but no I so the um in addition to that my artifact of the year w- was going to be um not an artifact I thought I would sort of cheat and do a feature but as Ken alluded oh, to at the beginning yeah. the uh you know i' i'm I'm into architecture and it's it's um well, I, I so personally had an ex, a kind of exciting thing uh, this I guess this year and in, in the last, one, which is that I finished a um uh a certificate, pro, a graduate certificate program in
1: historical architecture,
0: basically historic preservation, through the Boston Architectural cool. College, which I enjoyed. Um, yeah, but Gabe, it's been so nice...
1: for the listener, Gabe decided that uh, since he has tenure and uh, you know <laughs> because he didn't have much else to do, he would go back to school once again, uh, yeah. and uh, and keep himself busy, you know
0: that's right it was it was occasionally um I admit the homework sometimes was a little bit of a pain in the ass to get in you know but the, uh, I I uh, also listener and if you, any of my students are listening while having a full job I'd just like to let you know that I also maintained a 40 GPA all right so so I don't want to hear your excuses okay <laughs> um but uh but it's been nice though because I've been in kind of a um like a house headspace which I hadn't been in really since finishing my di- dissertation, you know, because like, as you know, Ken, you be- have to become sort of more of a generalist if you're in a small department. Um, so I sort of went back to architecture, but this past season at, um, the Sip Bay sites, um, we found another proto-historic, uh, dwelling feature. And Ken, you'll recall excavating one of these, um, yeah. with me, they're very shallow. They were, um, we did one in Nova Scotia. Um, they're not well-defined, but they're, um, they are super cool um they're uh basically contact period wigwams and uh that we're hoping actually matt uh arthur anderson and I, matt betts arthur anderson and i uh are writing this up and hopefully it will be on your desk someday but um that was a lot of fun and it was cool and you know cool. it, it even had the anvil stone you may remember ideality of 24 there was that Anvil yeah, Stone that yeah. apparently reused through time for um uh, fracturing, uh, green mammal bone to get marrow out of. And, uh, and that was yeah.
1: Cool. Yeah. So, so for the listener, there are, um, there's a, a site that Gabe and Matt excavated in coastal Nova Scotia, that the, this anvil stone. So there was a fairly, well, Ken prominent... excavated it
0: too. Ken, Ken
1: was actively excavated. Uh, yeah. I was there for some of it. Yeah. And, uh, um, there was a fairly large, um, kind of pointed rock, basically yeah. kind of in the middle of the feature that, uh, was a key architectural feature in several different reoccupations of this site um but that you guys but we've also found you guys have also found anvil stones in wigwams in uh in that were not sort of these sort of central features but were certainly a functional part of the household in that yeah. like uh at the at allef 24 the uh, uh there was an anvil stone with which had all that spirally fractured um uh caribou bone around yeah. basically right? and this so is was...
0: similar to the Aldf of 24 uh feature basically
1: yeah yeah and that so these are basically cool. rocks that were used um you know like natural um i don't think so, these were manuports the ones that Aldf of 24 at least wasn't um
0: yeah it's a little hard to tell uh, you know but um i suspect they're mostly you know just just nearby rocks that somebody kind of tilts up and says oh that'll work
1: yeah, yeah. So a manuport right. is basically a an unmodified rock that gets brought into an archaeological site um, and might be used for something like, for example, a an anvil to either break rocks on or break bone on or something like that. Yeah. And, and in this not to confused
0: with the popular dating website.
1: Is there a dating website called Anvil? No, manuport. Oh. Is no, there, no, a, there isn't. Is no, there I made that up. up. <laughs> i was gonna say is the anvil dating site is this for like while e coyote or something like that Like, uh...
0: yes yes it is yeah only uh what's that only only roadrunners allowed
1: yeah yeah exactly um but no
0: i would say that was sort of my my artifact of the year
1: that's very cool yeah i i look forward to seeing that stuff it uh um i it's been uh uh, it's been fun getting updates from you guys. I, I will admit, though, it's uh, I'm a bit envious that I haven't, uh, you know, I haven't had a chance to come out and see see Sit Bay yet. So hopefully, I'll get out uh, if you guys are out this summer, be able to visit. Yeah, we're,
0: yeah, we're probably not at Sit Bay this summer, unfortunately. We're um, we're in between grants, so we're we're tying up loose ends and and uh, going to be down in southern Maine for a bit. But uh, nice. but, but we will be back. Um, yeah. So Ken, this. I think we both we both commented um, a number of times as we were working on our hit pieces that it seems like it's been an extraordinarily good year. I mean, maybe the the best year in a long time for um, Maine Maritime Publications.
1: Yeah, yeah, incredibly productive. It seemed like we didn't really have to go very far down the well to find another paper. Um, you know, uh, uh, the co-host Dr. Reineck has his name on on many. Contributions this year, which is pretty impressive. I, I think this was an incredibly prolific year for you, uh, and, well, and the various you, sort of projects that. You, and you should be very proud of that. That was, you know, it's, uh, um I, I was kind of blown away by how uh, um, uh, how many times we were able to bring bring up your work, and and I have one of your papers actually is one of the ones that uh, that uh, I quite like this year. Let's um, read but, but Ken, I'm, I'm going
0: to let you in a little secret: is that do uh, you know something happens once you're done writing your dissertation? which is that you can write other things. Yeah, yeah, imagine and, that, eh? That's and in addition a... to, to having written your dissertation, you can also just turn your dissertation into publications. Yes. Yep. So you imagine what you've done by writing your dissertation is, um you know like sometimes when you're when you're pondering what to do for dinner and you find yourself in the grocery store and you smell that sweet, sweet rotisserie chicken? Yep. And you think to yourself, that could be dinner for a week. It could be. That's what your thesis is, right? I mean, you're going to have chicken salad you're gonna have chicken you're gonna have um uh maybe you're gonna throw that on a
1: caesar salad later yeah um you know so I, I i like to i like to portion it out chop up the pieces wrap them up into small bundles so that uh, you've got easy to grab uh pre-cooked chicken that you can take out of the freezer throw on a salad
0: there you go so so really what's happened is i've just reached the stock and demi-glaze phase of my thesis you'll be there <laughs> you'll be there shortly but i appreciate the shout out thank you
1: yeah um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, a number of our uh, colleagues uh, published and and so um, I, I actually drew on a couple. So this is this is the paper of the year segment that we're going to be talking about here. And, and uh, I led off with the Artifact of the Year. So I'd like to we're going to go to Gabe first for his his paper of the year. Um, and maybe uh, I have a top three. Um, I also have a book that I'm reading that is not new, but that I'm thoroughly enjoying that I'll talk about as well.
0: Oh, interesting. I'm excited to hear about this uh, this book. Um, and I Listener will not be surprised. I think I've said a lot of enthusiastic things about um, about the papers that we've had, um, you know, on the on the program this year. Um, and I was sort of thinking about, you know, what is the so so it became. You know, there were a lot of things we could have talked about. One of the ones was all sorts of interesting work with peliwinds at Monsoon Lake, right? That's like an obvious, yep. really interesting thing. We've talked about um, uh, shellfish diversity. In down east Maine and the Maritimes, super interesting. Um, all these things, and then I, I, um, but building a little bit on a hit piece that we talked about uh, just last fortnight, which was the ProPublica um, article about repatriation. Yep. Um, where I where I landed was the uh, Ryan Wheeler and Bonnie Newsom um, uh, article in the Archaeological Works of the American Anthropological Association. Sacred Places and Contested Spaces in Maine, The Long Shadow of Colonial Science in the Light of Repatriation. The reason I picked that article was that I think um, I was reminded of um, when I was an undergraduate, the late Brian Robinson used to do a talk called Pre-NAGPRA Baby. And (laughs) what that uh, article was about was his kind of conversion to being on board with NAGPRA. And so for the listener who, you know, maybe has missed some of the episodes, That's the Native American um, Grave Protection Repatriation Act. And it basically um, was federal legislation in the United States that um, passed in 1990. Yeah, in 1990, um, that required repatriation um, to lineal descendants of um, indigenous people of either human remains or burial goods. And so there's all sorts of literature on this. But basically, um, one of the points that Brian always made that that spoke to me in that discussion was that one of the important things for archaeologists was that that represented a societal decision about what archaeologists are doing. And I think that, that idea that what we're doing um, should be at least in some part a decision, not just made by archaeologists, but that's made by society is really important. Um, and I thought that this paper highlighted some of the history of that um, in Maine and uh, took a really interesting historical approach uh, to it. So that's my paper of the
1: year, Ken. Very nice. Very nice. I like that. Um do you have any other is that the, is that you got you got the one? Oh yeah, I thought we were doing the
0: one. Oh, I, oh. I, I I tried to do the, you know, tip of the glass towards a series of others. I mean, really I think pretty much anything we've done as a hit piece we thought was worth reading, I would say, right?
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean
0: and and it really has been a good year and I I also admit listener the the 2022 to 2023, you know, the way these overlap can be hard right you know you sort of forget what year something was and yeah, so yeah i probably dropped you know something i was excited about you know early in the year because this paper came out late in the
1: year so yeah um all right so i've got i've got a couple uh one of them uh is more recent uh so um well actually no i guess looking at the date i guess this came out of I guess the spring was a, a while ago now. Now that I realize it, but I guess um, yeah, it's a paper by uh, Bryn Lethem, Daniel Lapovsky, and Spencer Greening um, called "Willunda Wada Ox," where the water meets or where the waters meet. Deep time histories of shifting estuarine landscapes and human settlement in sap Watershed, Northern British Columbia, Canada. Um, and this is an ongoing project that uh, uh, Dr. Lethem, who's at um, he's affiliated with a college, Coast Mountain College in Prince Rupert, and I think he's still aff- affiliated with SFU, Simon Fraser, um, and uh, Daniel Lepof- Lepofsky at Simon Fraser and Spencer Greening, who's uh, part of Gitka Nation. Um, and it's basically a community-engaged project where they are using uh, uh, sort of advanced, archeolo- like some excellent archaeological field work, um, really fascinating scientific applications of like GIS and geo- geomorphological modeling. Um, and this paper is essentially looking at the emergence of um, a Gitga landscape, basically. And so the the shift um, over about f- uh, 14 or 15,000 years, um, where human occupation, the dates, the, the, the earliest dates that they have are just over 10,000 years ago. But basically, um, uh, this, what was formerly a sort of an estuarine environment, became a riverine environment. Um, and uh, there's uh, sort of a, stories in Gitga oral tradition about like on uh, uh, many of the places that they found in the archaeological record. Um, it kind of ties in with placemaking literature, which I'm really interesting, really interested in, and sort of the way that um, particular settings and particular landscapes um, uh, emerge, right? And, and one of the things that I have found so interesting about this paper is that I think that what you, what they're talking about is a process that um, Is kind of how I envision sort of ancestral um, um, sort of how their relationship with uh, with the sort of the lakes area in in the lower Walostaquig uh, as how that probably emerged, but we just don't have the sort of robust uh, uh, long term archaeological data that we do here uh, that that, that are able to draw. Not yet, yeah, yeah. And so um, it's it was a it's a great paper. Uh, Bryn's a friend of mine. He's also a former Gary Copeland graduate student. Yep. Um, really bright guy. Um, And, uh, and the work that they're doing, I think, is really also um, a great example of community engaged archaeology, um, where the nation is, is involved at every step. And in this case, um, are co co publishers, uh, uh, co authors on a, on papers about their about their history, which I think is really important as well.
0: So that's fantastic. Yeah, I've ne- I've never met uh, Bryn Letham but I but I've admired his work for a long time, and that uh, that's absolutely paper that should be on uh, people's uh, holiday reads. I think.
1: Yeah, and and another one that I wanted to highlight was um, what I think is actually a really critical paper for anybody who is involved in the CRM industry. Um, and that's uh, Jeffrey Altschul and Terry Klein's yes. forecast for the U.S. CRM industry and job market from 2022 to 2031. And um, this, I think this paper came out in late 2022. Yeah. Um, yeah. If If I'm not correct. Yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, I don't know. I can't see on the, I've got the article pulled up, but I can't see which edition it came out in. Uh, it in advances. In, advances in yeah, yeah. Yeah, advances in archaeological practice. Um, so this is actually free online. I think we may have talked about this uh, article in a hit piece. Um, uh, we may have. I, th- I think we probably did. And if not,
0: um, we're planning to have a kind of CRM-themed show, I think, in the new year. And this the topic will certainly come up.
1: Yeah. And so basically, the impetus for this paper was um, in 2021, I believe it was uh the federal government in the united states passed uh a major new um funding package um uh i I should have brought up i should have highlighted the name of it in here um is the the green energy uh yeah what was it called um i can't remember it it was biden's big like you know job creation oh not build back better was it build back better no it was uh, it was the transportation infrastructure bill that's what it was the okay. uh, infrastructure spending bill um and essentially what uh, so what the listener probably doesn't realize is that the the challenge with understanding the the CRM industry in Canada is that um not only is it much more broken up because of the structure of the federation and so there's no overarching federal legislation that kind of brings everything together um, and the, the provinces and territories, although um, regulatory officials and government officials meet, I think, probably a couple times a year altogether, mm-hmm. um, there's not so much sort of uh, the same kind of integration mm-hmm. with uh, um, at the, in the way that it's handled in the states because of the federal legislation there, which is called the, um, the uh, uh, National Historic Preservation Act. Section um, 106, basically. Section 106 process, um, yeah. Is, is, yeah, is the heritage uh, part of that. But the other thing that goes along with that is so although we've we got a little bit more disaggregated CRM industry in general, we also don't collect labor market uh, statistics in Canada in the same way that it's done in the States. And so in the United States, you can actually look up on federal government websites and state websites, archaeology is profession in their labor market data. Um, and it's not, that kind of data is not collected in Canada in the same way. Um, and we're, we're actually lumped in with, um, I think it's called like professional and technical services or something like that. Um, yeah, I looked
0: this up recently and I, I, it's, it's not, you can't sort it out
1: the same way. No, you can't sort it out the same way. The, the, you, you would never be able to parse out sort of the dollar figures that they're able to in the States, but essentially what Ultron and Klein were basic, what they did is they looked at the labor market information. They looked at kind of the. Uh, the industry, as they calculated based on, I think it was basically labor market uh, trends. Mm-hmm. They looked at the number of permanent positions, the number of uh, part-time positions, and they figured out basically wages and things like that. Then they also looked at the number of graduate programs and and who is graduating. And essentially what they calculated was that over the course of this, the the duration of this infrastructure bill, which is expected to last for over 10 years, so from 2021 fiscal to 2031 fiscal, um, the the drive for CRM was going to create something around um, between two and three thousand job shortages of like permit holding so like senior level archaeologists mm-hmm. in the United States um, which means that if you have your short three thousand CRM professionals um, there are anywhere from three thousand to you know extrapolate how many projects one person takes on in the course of a year yeah how many projects are going to be slowed um and and how how much archaeology is either not going to be done or can't be done um uh in response to development uh basically and so um it's it's a real challenge and talking with colleagues across canada over the last few months um this is the same thing is happening in canada okay i was going to ask you that yeah it, the same kind of pressures are coming up. Um, you're talking to business owners. Um, well, we talked to Daryl the other day, yeah, exactly. about how, yeah, yeah, you know, um, we have colleagues working in the Maritimes. Um, I know there's folks here in Alberta. I've heard about BC. Um, I know in Southern Ontario, this has been the case for a few years now. There are not enough people to do the work basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yep. and it's just that we don't have a way to Uh, write a data heavy paper, like a lot of what the the data we have is all sort of anecdotal, right? And I think this is actually going to be a real problem. Because as, you know, green energy projects in Canada ramp up, um, you know, uh, uh, know, a wind farm is, you know, it's a great alternative energy source, but they have a fairly large physical footprint, right? Which means a lot of archaeology work happening. Um, You know, there won't be as many pipelines, there may not be any major pipeline projects moving forward but there are going to be a significant number of um major infrastructure projects related to greening the economy um and to upgrading basic infrastructure you know things like they're probably going to start building rail lines again at some point you know that kind of stuff like and and these these big projects um require archaeologists because the process that we have and i think that we are really um at a um we're at a disadvantage in Canada by not being able to draw on data like this basically, and not be able to produce this kind of um, report. So I would encourage everybody who is interested in the CRM industry to read this article. Um, it is sort of shocking in its scope. Um, and uh, and I think I don't know as many folks in the CRM industry in the states, but my sense from talking to you, Gabe, is that this is like very much at the fore. like this is happening right now.
0: Oh, yeah. I think I think it's acute like the shortage of archaeologists. But I, I just one thing to just add to that, though, Ken, that I think is important is um, the, um, the article you're discussing in advanced archaeological practice is with regard specifically, or they're basically to archaeologists with a master's degree. Yep. So which means that when we're thinking about how to address this problem, um, we're thinking about a problem that occurs at the graduate level at universities. So um, and that's going to, and the problem with that is that I mean, it means that there needs to be some um, consideration of this that includes universities, right? This is not going to be kind of a technician training program to address this. Yeah. Um, and, and as we're thinking about ways to um, build equity in the discipline, that means that we've got to start thinking about sort of long term solutions to um, include uh, Indigenous people in graduate. Training. we've got to include um, other uh, underrepresented communities in graduate training. And so um, those are necessarily, you know, kind of problems that unfold over six years. Right. Uh, and we're talking about a, a situation that is going to certainly uh, be acute by the 2030s and is already um, a problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like, and, and that's the other issue too, is that they're, they're the training available for students, um, to ramp up to get a program like this off the ground is two to five years, even once you get the okay from within a university. And so you're looking at the first graduate student coming out of a program. If you started working on it today, uh, would be six, seven years down the road. Yeah. I mean, the
0: flip side of this though, is if you're a kid listening to this program and, uh, and you are thinking, oh, I'd really like to do archeology, span but I'm worried there won't be a, won't be a job in it for me uh the odds are high that there will be a job uh that pays pretty well uh in it for you so that's uh that's good news and i'm somewhat alarmed listener because i think i've seen what ken has grabbed here off the shelf ken uh, what's what's your uh your next
1: uh hit for today well so i i don't actually think i have the issue that unless it wasn't i so the the last one i had and i and i for some reason i don't have it in my uh um in my endnote library uh, but, uh, 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 Gabe and Matt had a paper that came out, uh, in 2023, uh, basically talking about complexity in the late woodland, which I, I,
0: oh, uh, thoroughly
1: enjoyed reading about. I thought um, you were driving the phallic it... effigy
0: paper and I was concerned and I was like, what's, Oh, what's that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so was that Northeast Anthro, uh, the, um, your, the complexity paper? No, it's in JAA. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Um, and uh and I cause I think it follows up on one of the big questions that we talked about with Matt Betts um uh at the start of this season. Um, and it opens up a new way to talk about regional archaeology in the Maritimes. And I think it positions um uh positions future research around big questions in anthropology and archaeology that I think the region is really um is prepared to start engaging with and um and that I think, as regional researchers, we are all now sort of challenged to think bigger um, about uh, about these questions. So, well, um, and the implications of that. So, well, thank uh, you, that Ken. Was, that was number three.
0: Oh, I, I really appreciate that. The listener, if they read that paper, which is very long, um, will notice that Ken is cited extensively uh, through it, particularly with regard to lithic material sourcing. So, we that was a fun paper to write because it was um, we we. It it sort of didn't. In, it involved some of our own field work, but it was it was a lot of literature review of uh, lots of good archaeologists like Ken and a whole bunch of other people. So thanks, Ken. Um yeah. Well, Ken, um, we should pause for a moment so we can re up our drinks. Yep.
1: Oh, uh, I should share my my book. Yeah. The the, the book that I'm reading. I'll, I'll do that, and then we'll then we'll go for a pause.
0: Oh, sounds good. Okay. So okay. do we do the, like three, two, one, and then jump in? Yeah. So Ken,
1: you you uh, sorry three, two one uh kenny you're also reading a book yeah so uh, I'll, I'll wrap up with this one uh this came on the rep- recommendation for gabe i'm teaching a course in the winter called contacts yeah. um, or archaeology of contacts which is going to be um but the archaeology sort of the early um uh european contact in north america but also sort of his- some historic archaeology and some practical stuff but um you had recommended a book called a cold welcome yes uh Great the- book called welcome the little Ice Age in Europe's encounter with North America um and I've been reading that over the last uh, couple weeks and uh really enjoying it it's uh it's um what's the it's historical ecology is that what the um it or- is yeah yeah um and uh basically the the premise is that um it's talking about the impact of climatic events on early European settlement in North America and, and sort of this sort of it's interesting because I'm in a geography department and it is yeah. very geographical. Um, uh, and, yeah. uh, uh, and so it's been interesting to read about that. Um, and some of the, uh, basically the misperceptions that European groups had when they arrived, um, and the impacts that the sort of the changing, um, uh, weather pattern had on, uh, on the way that, uh, what they were, the successes that they had in North America and, and the groups that they encountered, the indigenous people who were already here, um, uh, how they negotiated those relationships and and uh, and how different groups were negotiating this um, sort of dramatic change in weather patterns um, and climate, basically. At that yeah, time. and that
0: book's kind of relevant here at the holiday season, because as we think about, you know, like um, a Christmas carol being in a particularly cold England, right? It's, <laughs> yeah, it's really just a, a function of the, the Little Ice Age.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so if you're interested, Sam White is the author um, yeah. and uh, came out in 2017. Um, available in in paperback and e books, basically. Yeah, very uh, yeah. good
0: book. I'm glad you're enjoying that. I, I I think it's possible. Dave Black actually recommended that book to me. Oh yeah. Um, okay. I, cool. I, I, I fixed, can see like... this
1: very, being very much up his up his alley. So.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's it's a good book, and it's um and uh, if we have any historians in the audience, they might enjoy it as well.
1: Yeah. So. Good. So yeah, that's that's a, that's a wrap on the uh, the papers of the year.
0: So Ken, it's it's no secret uh, to the listener that that we often like to have this podcast with a with an ice cold glass of couvassier in front of us, but uh you know, around the holidays. I think sometimes it's nice to mix it up a little bit and try something different. Do you have any uh any big uh, cocktail recipes you'd like to recommend to our listeners for the holidays?
1: Um well, actually the uh so I think I've already m- recommended one, the uh that uh, that cider margarita was quite tasty yeah you
0: you look quite pleased Um,
1: i uh and and on the cider note so i think actually one of my favorite sort of seasonal cocktails i've talked about on the show before is a is a great northern which Mm -hmm. is basically uh hot apple cider uh mulled. so you add um whole allspice uh whole cloves um and a couple of cinnamon sticks bring it to a boil let it kind of rest and let the flavors get in there and then um Two shots of bourbon uh, and uh, pour the hot apple cider over top of that. And and that is just a, a lovely kind of warming inside out drink. Um, yes, sir. Am uh, I right? So. that The
0: first time we had those uh, might have been at an ESAF meeting in South Portland.
1: Uh, you might be correct.
0: I think it was you, me, uh, Jesse, maybe Mike Rooney at a restaurant called Local Sprouts
1: yeah that maybe that was what it was i yeah. think it
0: was uh that restaurant is no more unfortunately because it was a great restaurant but uh no. yeah that's a shame yeah yeah so uh so we've got the great northern or the or this is it called a cider margar? what are you sipping now is it a chardonnay
1: oh this is um uh it's a single malt um
0: oh good it's a very pale single malt isn't it
1: yeah so this is the new Ardbeg. bag um uh and what is it called the heavy vapors the art bag oh okay it's incredibly clear um yeah it's it's really nice it's smoky um it's smoky but very mellow interesting Uh. listener
0: that ken says it's very clear but but don't let him fool you it's he definitely still has a half pint of it in front of him (laughs) (laughs) cool well those are excellent options my um so the uh, my cocktail recipe actually is just one we've we've been exploring um, recently here, which is a, a riff on the vodkare. And so yeah. that
1: yeah, you sent me this, and I I have I didn't even know what a vodkare was.
0: Oh, so it's a classic Prohibition era cocktail from New Orleans with uh, yeah. rye, cognac, vermouth, Benedictine. Um, but this the the riff on it basically is um, you've got your rye and your cognac. Uh, the the listener might might recall that uh, that uh, Couvassier cool yeah, is a cognac and that's actually what i've been using in this um and uh and then you add uh, a little bit of um actually banana liqueur um and then you add uh you, you use a, a couple of different um uh you basically take a like a, a green cardamom and you turn that into a simple syrup but you sort of simmer it in with the simple syrup uh and then also some cardamom bitters and you get yourself a uh, cardamom plus banana vukere and it's very good it's kind of spicy great for the great for the holidays
1: yeah that sounds delicious i i so the other one i was trying to find this um uh there was uh instagram has 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 decided that i like cocktails and so it sends me the I wonder how that happened yeah uh, uh cocktail recipes and it seems like the thing to do with a holiday cocktail is you just add cranberry juice to everything. Um, that's uh, essentially the the solution to how to make a holiday cocktail. But the, the one that I, I was interested in is the... Um, uh, it is a Cosmo... Uh, French 75 and Cosmo mix. Oh, interesting. Um, and so you do... Um, why can't I see the recipe here? I never know how to work these things. Well, well can you just play around this? I will say
0: that the Cosmo... The Cosmo is actually an underrated drink, I think. I mean, Gin, it...
1: Cointreau, cranberry, lime, and uh, strain it, and then uh, put in a champagne flute and top it up with Prosecco with a rosemary garnish. That sounds all right.
0: Yeah. Um, you're, so... you're doing a bit of a like five cocktails of Christmas, aren't you?
1: Yeah, that's kind of the plan. Um, was a, a sort of probably starting on... So we'll cook the turkey on the 24th, um, and so, from the twenty fourth, probably through. Oh, the sorry, 20th... can I have to
0: interrupt you for a minute. When, when I do five cocktails of Christmas, I mean five cocktails on Christmas. But I guess I guess we're doing something <laughs> different. But that's okay.
1: It's. A... Go, I think go we're going to do a thematic cocktail of a day kind of thing. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't mean there's only one. But oh, oh, I see. But you. you but we have, have the answer. The one we brought you. We have sufficient prosecco to ensure that each morning can start the right way. That's uh, good. You're
0: good. Yeah. The uh, you. I mean, you can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning exactly but so would you like to let the listener know sort of roughly what the what the outline of your five days of drinking are
1: uh we haven't hammered it down so i think we're going to try out the one that you had just said good, um, good. and the this uh uh Cosmo 75 gonna give that a go yeah um uh probably do margar just like straight up margaritas because that's just a a house favorite yeah um and uh i'm gonna <laughs> particularly with the kids yeah and uh, and I'm also going to um kind of uh pester my brother-in-law to see if uh he knows anything that you could do with sage in it. Um Oh, that sounds nice, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so my my brother-in-law is a uh, is a mixologist uh, uh or one one of his uh trades. Uh drummer, so an occupation mixologist. I think used to
0: be called a barman, but What's they, that? Uh, used to be called a barman, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, he yeah. but
1: he does like you know, he and a, a friend used to have a company basically where they Um, they did like cocktail parties where they developed cocktails for those. I I think the most famous being that they, for Butterball, they had to do a corporate party and Butterball tasked them. Yeah. Butterball tasked them with coming up with a turkey dinner cocktail one time. Fascinating. (laughs) He was also the hand. So he was making the cocktails on, uh, Canada's next top chef or something at one point. Really? So you see his hands making cocktails in one season of, uh, uh canada's next talk top chef or something no kidding what on earth is the butterball themed cocktail i can't remember what he said it was it had something to do with cranberry um it, they, they decided that they couldn't bring turkey into it um but uh, <laughs> uh uh i i i have it in my head actually they ended up landing on something that had cranberry and sage in it or something so interesting um, okay yeah
0: the, we've we've understood from our uh, emails that we've become primarily an archaeology podcast but it's secondarily a kind of restaurant and cocktail podcast which i think has been an interesting experience for both of us to become food writers
1: yeah yeah well i mean you've been mistaken for a food writer before i think that's one of my favorite stories about you and you and nadine uh, yeah we, I, was we it were in dc
0: it was in washington dc was yeah at a, a great um, italian spot that was in a bar on the uh, on the waterfront and uh, yeah, we were mistaken for for food writers, which also listener, if you can be mistaken for a food writer at any restaurant, I highly encourage it because the amount of free stuff that starts appearing <laughs> is uh, is pretty, uh, pretty astonishing. But the uh, yeah. so I, I mean, I think we were going to we were going to sort of pivot, though, to our, our next kind of restaurant highlights for the year. Yeah. Um, and, and I suspect you're like me in the sense that um, it's easy to think about restaurants just in terms of. Of happy feelings right like people you've been there with and all these sorts of things yeah um yeah and uh and so naturally i thought to myself uh about a few that we were at at Esaf. uh one called big pecker's um which is a chicken restaurant uh a place called the sky bar which had espresso martinis on tap oh wow and of course there's the governor's pub in member two yep
1: yeah um, oh yeah that was that was really good
0: yeah, and they have our sticker now on their um on their fridge. That's,
1: that's right. That's right. Nice oh man, we we did have some fantastic seafood there, didn't we?
0: Yeah, they did a um. I don't remember exactly what it was called, but we basically ordered the kind of like seafood platter or whatever it was, and it was terrific. Yeah. Um. And then um. Another fun thing that uh, I've been doing down here in New Hampshire is there's a kind of nice cadre of the New England archaeologists down here, and we do a thing called the Thursday Moose. Nice. they are called the thirsty moose um and initially the idea was this would just be on Thursdays um but of course it you know we're never all available on a Thursday so it's whatever day of the week we're actually all able to get together uh, and uh and my friend Maddie actually at uh, Dartmouth uh decided that that we should think of it as being like Paris after the war you know very nice That's nice. sort of intelli- you know, intellectuals who have escaped and uh found themselves here in Manchester but um I to say probably the best just uh, food restaurant that I've been to is this place called Campo uh, Anateca. It's here in Manchester. Um, it is a, a North African Italian uh, fusion restaurant, I guess. Ooh, fun. Um, it's phenomenally good. Um, they closed briefly and Nadine and I were heartbroken. And <laughs> they fortunately reopened with essentially the same menu and it seems to be the same staff. Um and uh, and they're just very very good. So uh, you know, it it would uh, you're well served. Really, it's a, it's a they they say they're a wine bar. I, I would stick to the cocktails probably, but um, I'm not. The thing about a wine bar is you can pour wine at home, but really the work part is someone else making you the cocktails. You know, exactly. Um, and exactly. then they, but they do um you know they've got some like uh, house made fresh cheeses which are great. Uh, they do a sourdough bread, which is great, and then um, their entrees, uh, especially the kind of fish ones, are really fantastic. But so, Ken, um, you and I obviously have been in some good restaurants uh, together in our time. We have. Um, I think probably at, at least for some of those, we um, have senior archaeologists to thank for footing the bill, especially when we were I, younger.
1: We have definitely we we've benefited from that. I feel like we've also paid it forward on that a few times. We have we, now, yes. Um, and and you know, and so. And actually, in, so on that note, um, uh, I, I got treated to. Um, so on my list are are uh, a couple of travel related um, uh, restaurant selections. Uh, and and sorry, one sorry, Ken, which which
0: chilies will this be?
1: <laughs> I think I think I've decided that Terminal A has the best one. That's okay. Uh, uh, yeah, um, Terminal A so, chilies. <laughs> this is the so, uh, so, the prime
0: dining in Calgary.
1: Yeah, in the lead up to the SAA meeting in Portland this past spring, um, I received a very kind email from uh, Chris Wolfe and Don Holly, who are um, sort of um, uh, uh, very accomplished researchers working in the region, uh, mostly working out of Labrador, um, uh, but uh, um, and, Newfoundland. Both... and Newfoundland and Newfoundland and Labrador, yeah, yep. yeah, and uh, um, but uh, uh, colleagues of the far northeast and and uh, and both. Uh, guys, uh, who I've really looked up to in terms of the quality and and uh, um, sort of their their framing of of archaeology and how they approach it. Me too. Um, and I was I was uh, uh, very happy to hear that I, I that they do an annual dinner at the SAA's, which I which I was not aware of before. Um, and they reach out to a couple of colleagues who are um, uh, people that they've uh they either have only met briefly or they uh they've never met before but they've read their work or something and people they essentially want to get no- to know better uh and and so organize a small dinner together and to head out and pick a somewhere kind of well reviewed within the town I- my understanding if i'm not mistaken is that n- one of them picks the dinner place and the other one picks the attendees and they do Oh interesting is that i i might i might be wrong there but um so i've been but i don't know the rules yeah so anyway either yeah, yeah. way we ended up um with a couple of folks uh and uh we went to the a restaurant called Gato Gatto and it is a i, I believe it's vietnamese fusion um oh, excellent essentially it's like a tabladote menu and oh, so cool. you have um kind of this uh, a, a list of what's being made. And essentially it's all shared with the table. Oh, cool. And they just keep bringing stuff over. Oh, wow. And so it was like, like an hour and a half to two hours of sort of constant food coming. And it was like a flavor explosion. Like it was just that's incredible. Great. Uh, absolutely amazing dinner. And then we ended up going to, I can't remember if it was Don or Chris, uh, had a connection with a guy who owns a like a chocolate making company And so in- I think you told me it was Chris because Chris um did Chris go to school out there for a while? Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah, because he lived in Portland for a while. I think that's what yeah. it was. He might have done his BA there. Um anyway, and yeah, so he had a friend who owns this like craft he's a craft chocolatier and kind of walked us through the whole process and cool. We just ate a ton of like absolutely delicious craft chocolate basically so um which uh, which uh, and it was right before easter so i was able to bring home these craft chocolate bunnies for the kids oh, that's great. Which, they, which were filled with like a a homemade captain crunch style like uh cereal thing and like rice thing in the middle oh cool um the kids didn't like the chocolate but so Carolyn and i got to have this these delicious dark, dark chocolate bunnies all to ourselves which was which was actually really nice yeah yeah ken ken um, acts
0: like he didn't plan it that way
1: yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, so another highlight of the trip to Portland was on the complete opposite spectrum of a very nice restaurant was this fantastic dive bar that we found with a group of us on the first night we were there. Um, uh, my friend Brandon and I, who UT uh, colleagues, there was a few UT colleagues and then a whole group of Andeanists. Um, and I was the tag along to a group of Andeanists um, to the Sandy hut, hot bar and lounge um, made fantastic cocktails had the cheapest beer in town as far as i can tell um and made really excellent wings and so uh, we hung out there for an entire night uh and that was that was really nice and then and then and then i wanted to highlight a couple sorry can
0: i just interrupt you briefly on the dive bar thing the do you remember at the uh it must have been the caas in quebec city the tavern joseph
1: dion joseph Dion, yes that's right and it was and they were celebrating the bar's birthday the bar's birthday. It was like a fiftieth anniversary or something. I uh,
0: I can't remember how old it was. Something like that. Um, yeah. And, no, I think it was. It might
1: have been a hundred. Yeah. So I wanted to say a hundred, but I felt like maybe that was like wrong. But I think you. I think it might have been a hundred.
0: Yeah. No. And there and there was um uh a, a guy sort of dressed like a Hell's Angel singing in alternating French and English lyrics like Stevie yeah. Wonder songs. Yep. Um. It was a great crowd as well. I mean, it was like a highlight, uh, including Don. Don was there. Um, I think Don was was the first guy that realized that things had gotten interesting when the uh, the bar that only spoke French. um, His understanding was that it was something like one beer is $2. Eight beer is also $2. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, I read. It. I, I remember handing. It was also one of these situations where I felt like I handed somebody a twenty twenty dollar bill and I got twenty dollars back at one point. Right?
0: Yeah, like it, it <laughs> was totally bizarre. Um, but no, we we had the whole gang there. I mean, it was uh Eric and uh Amy and Don, yep. and, uh, a couple of my grad students. It was a good crowd. But sorry, you yep. you were saying,
1: yeah. And then uh, Carolyn and I took a trip to um Calgary. Uh, in I believe it was March, we went and saw a hockey game, and uh, we had a uh, a really lovely dinner at Orchard YYC, which is uh, sort of a, a, a an Asian fusion uh, uh, restaurant. I had um, some exceptional duck um, with oh, yeah. a, a you know like a, a potato pat was lovely, and then we had a, a nice brunch at Maven. Um, oh, uh, interesting. Which uh, so. um but both of them the, were the, these are sort of the flavor experiences of the of 2023 and then and then fantastic seafood when we were out east this past summer that was uh, yeah um, yeah so no it's uh
0: it's possible i i kind of wonder sometimes that, you know maybe we're in the kind of golden age of restaurants and bars and that sort of thing
1: yeah i i think we're also old enough now that we can we tend to spend our money more on these sorts of experiential restaurants than um something that you know is just going to land in our gut and then waste our money on other things oh kenna uh, i waste my money on anything that i can find it's, it's...
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no that too that too um... Harkening
1: back to gabe saying that he doesn't have spotify it's because the uh i believe that the audio quality <laughs> is not as uh is not up to your standards is that correct well,
0: well no that, that's right listen I, pre- I prefer kobas which is a french streaming service um uh, not a euphemism um but the uh and uh yeah no it, it sounds a little better than the the high five yeah um exactly. but uh but no and um it's not on our list of things to discuss but uh, are
1: you cooking anything fancy for the holiday uh no we'll just do a turkey dinner but uh hey, yep. I, I pride myself on my um i like to I, I tell people what i like to end up with a turkey is uh one that could um uh uh could end up on the front cover of like uh, Canadian homemaker or like good housekeeping um yeah. so uh uh it not only has to taste good it has to have that perfect browning to it so uh so if uh if I nail it this year listener maybe uh maybe that'll uh, make it onto the socials so that uh so you can see oh there uh, we go what the turkey looked like this year
0: yeah the there's that um uh, there's an Anthony Bourdain cookbook in which he uh he sings the praises of the idea of a, a a turkey and a stunt turkey and the stunt <laughs> turkey is the one that you display so it's carved up real nice but then the real turkey is the one that actually gets served right so right. the one that ends up on the plate and but you've got this stunt turkey that you're later going to turn into you know, turkey salad or something but the uh no, cool. I, i've
1: got both both in one i do my own stunts that's uh
0: that's very <laughs> that's
1: brave do you do a brine what's what's your brine approach? uh no i don't brine um don't brine? i just uh i get a um i buy like grain fed free range turkeys they don't have to be organic i don't i feel like you just pay extra for organic but it has to be grain fed free range it's always better it cooks better we just lost our two Mofka listeners here but that's all right <laughs> yeah um but uh i i uh tend to i wash it and then i do i guess i don't do a brine i do a rub so i do like a um, oh i like could dry
0: brine basically yeah, so
1: I do like a, yeah. I mix butter and salt and thyme and sage, and I massage that in. Uh, I also do some butter, inc- I, I do some small incisions in the skin to get the butter underneath the skin in several places. Um, and then I blanket the turkey and bacon um, to, ah. uh, to, and, and kind so- Kind of buried the lead there on the, uh, the uh, secret. And so, so so I blanket it in bacon, and then and I, I think I
0: blanket the turkey and bacon should be the title of this episode. <laughs>
1: I'm writing it Uh, down. Okay. But, uh, and then you take the, you take the bacon off toward the end there. Uh, and then you can sort of baste it to get the nice, nice browning. So that sounds great. Um, and what do you, what do you serve with that? Uh, well we're doing, so we couldn't find turnip oddly enough. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, so we've got a rutabaga, um, and we've got squash, uh, and we're going to do, um, I think I'll do a, uh, um, cream cheese dill mashed potato um and like uh, Carolyn does these cinnamon maple carrots um and then we'll do peas Oh, very so, nice yeah
0: very nice yeah yeah so um uh as you know Ken I don't have kids uh, <laughs> so the uh, so so mrs dr Ronick always offers to um to work the the holiday because since we don't have kids it's you know a flexible
1: you mean you're not up at five thirty in the morning on, on Christmas day?
0: Uh, well, sometimes Mrs. Dr. Ronick is, but it's because someone is delivering a baby that right. that someone is her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, uh, so Christmas is, is a movable feast for us. So, um, so Christmas morning typically will be that I'll wake up leisurely and I'll um, fire up uh, the BBC lessons and carols. I don't know if you're familiar <laughs> with this, this program and I'll make some baked goods that I'll drag into the hospital um, at some point And, you know, charm the nurses and all that and uh, drop off the Oreo balls. Um, and then in the evening, um, we will go to a Chinese restaurant once, right. once it's off work. And uh, if the listener has not been to a Chinese restaurant on Christmas, it is um, a fantastic experience. The uh, this, this became of thing for us when he was in residency. And, and we, I think, made the mistake, perhaps, of... Uh, you're in a Chinese restaurant on Christmas, right? So you you tip very very well. Um, you should really, listener, you should tip 100 percent if you're in a Chinese restaurant on Christmas, <laughs> which which became our habit. Um, and so we, you know, we're we're often you know, off work. We we go in a Chinese restaurant and uh, and we were just happy to have kind of hang out, enjoy the atmosphere. We understand it'll be slow. It's Christmas. It's the only thing that's open within you know 100 miles that's a million kilometers. And, um, uh, so we're having our, uh, uh, you know, my tie in the big bowl with the two long straws. And, uh, but we were such big hits at this point after three years of residency that we apparently were entitled to cut off someone's poo poo platter for the, for the appetizer. So within three minutes we had food and, and it was sort of rough. I mean, we, we almost felt like explaining to the waitress that, you know, yeah, like, like, despite the tips, we, we would really just prefer to sit here and drink this for a while. But they, you know, we're just here for the ambiance, you know, but the, yeah. uh, but uh, no, so it's, uh, it's always kind of fun. So, um, but yeah, no, maybe, we're, maybe uh, I guess the, to loop back to that, um, one of the, the things that I've always enjoyed, I, I think about archaeology is that we've had a lot of fun dinners and drinks with people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh like, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, academically engaging. Um, it's intellectually stimulating, but it's also like, um, for those of you who have never taken part in field work, uh, of any yeah. kind, it is, it is incredibly social. Um, and it is, it's really like you spend a lot of time with people in the field. Um, and, uh, uh, there's, there's a camaraderie that you have that you develop with people when you work in the field that is, is, different than just sort of a day-to-day like working relationship it's yeah. it's you know um and you also rely on each other right like it's one of these things i, I tell my students in crm for example is that uh but ken um, does he
0: leans into the, lean to the in, into the it's like prison
1: <laughs> but it's it's almost the opposite you know like I, yeah, I yeah. well i get i don't i don't know but uh but you're you're <laughs> you're there to keep each other company, but you're also looking out for each other too. Right. And, and, uh, and you're also learning something like when you're doing an excavation, for example, it's all kind of, um, you're relying on each other. You're relying on, um, uh, everybody kind of doing their part. Um, but, uh, but it's also a great opportunity to kind of get to know people, um, and, uh, and, you know, uh, compile random lists of things and get new music recommendations and, you know, and you end up talking a lot about food and drink and and uh, uh whatever media you're consuming at that time, right? It's like a so podcast but sweatier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So so Ken,
0: so we're- we're, our are our are getting low here, perhaps. So um I think we were gonna do some some goals for next year. And and the listeners know we haven't really rehearsed these, but just kind of goals I think about the podcast, about archaeology. Um what do you got?
1: uh so i think i think getting some publications out i think uh yeah. kicking off new research projects for me um uh i can't talk really details about it but i i sure. have plans for sort of my next phase of, phase of research in new brunswick which i'm pretty excited about can you speak um,
0: preview some of the publication topics or kind of areas
1: you're chasing uh so uh writing up stuff for my dissertation so right. i've got a paper um that uh, that i owe to uh you and matt i uh, January,
0: genuinely first.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So and to you,
0: you're one of the editors too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I wrote to myself. I've got yeah, yeah. 10 days. Um, yeah. I actually, I actually finished How's it. looking? It. I finished it last night actually. Oh, good. So, and, uh, I'm going to send it back to Gary to have a, have a look through, uh, since he, he Great. saw the previous iterations of it. Um, and, uh, writing up a lot of the stuff on the Washington Oak Lake church source, um, and the database work that I've done, a lot of the archeological sites that I've looked at over the last few years, Um, And kind of dusting off some stuff that I have not written up yet uh, from my master's and from some of the time working in CRM in New Brunswick, actually. So um, I'm not sure how quickly all of that stuff will come out, but I've kind of got, uh, I've got a bit of a runway ahead of me now. um, uh, Over the next year or so, uh, year or two that uh, uh, there's plenty of work to do, um, even as new data starts coming in. So, and, and, and the work that I've been doing the collections work on the, the sites from the Tobik, Um, It's part of a project where I'm looking at comparing um, and contrasting early and late woodland technology in the middle and the lower Wolostog, and uh, uh, kind of getting a sense of how um, uh, way in sort of different parts of the river and with different sort of types of rocks and access to different sources for rocks, how how, um, some of the local environment available and technical capacities of particular... Uh, stones uh, shaped um, uh, decisions around how to make stone tools and and what was being made. So that's great. The uh, lots of
0: alleged rocks, lots of alleged tools. Is there a listener.
1: Yep. Yeah, yep. The, no, that sounds
0: good, Ken. That'll be. Um, I'm excited to see all that. I'm especially excited to see your January first deadline here. As I glance at the the calendar.
1: Yeah, yeah. It might even come in before that.
0: Oh my goodness. That would, wouldn't that be exciting?
1: Maybe that'll be under the tree for you, Gabe.
0: Oh yeah, we, we gift wrap it. <laughs> the uh, the if my graduate students are listening, a thesis is also always welcome gift wrapped at this time of year. It's exactly, just, <laughs> exactly. it pairs perfectly with the eggnog. Yeah, the uh
1: cool. Do we have any podcast related goals? Yeah, I mean, I think I think if we came close to five thousand this year, I think would would it not be cool to hit ten thousand listens in in twenty twenty four?
0: I think that would be excellent. I, um, I actually
1: did not think that was going to be even remotely achievable at one point. Um and it actually sort of seems possible now.
0: It does seem possible. I mean unless our um our best days are behind us. Like yeah, I guess that's possible. They which they know, I mean be- they certainly are in some sense. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, but hopefully not in the sense of our podcasting ability.
1: Yeah. And and, and I, I'm excited for the uh, taking the show on a road here um, yeah. with the podcast this this next year. And, and so uh, tell the officially being at that. the CAAs for sure. Yeah. Um, so
0: so can you can you kind of so you're, you're footing my bill for some travel here? But uh, so I'll let you tell the story. What's what's going on here?
1: So um, part of the grant that we you know, one of our 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 grant that's sponsoring the podcast now um part of that was that we will be hiring a student to help out with some of the production stuff um research and that kind of thing um but also that we plan to uh uh, do a session at the canadian archaeological association meeting on public archaeology uh public dissemination and doing uh i think the plan was to record a live podcast at the conference itself Um, and not just do podcast hits. So we'll probably be talking to friends and colleagues there, but also recording a podcast, um, uh, which, uh, which I guess, you know, we'll have to talk to the conference organizers, but I think would be kind of a fun thing. And, and then we're also planning on doing uh, a live show in Fredericton at some point, um, yeah. and probably in February, but, uh, we'll, we'll figure out the details of that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be exciting to, um, you know, actually, this will be, you know, like recording a full show, you and I in the room together. Like, uh, uh, that'll be, that'll be different. Right. Uh, um, we've only done that in bars. We've only done it in bars and we've only done sort of short interview sections, right? So, That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, if we can talk for two and a half hours about nothing, uh, on, a on zoom, uh, listener, you are in for a treat. In fact, the email yeah. that I received from, um, RSS, uh, uh, uh the other day, uh, Said your, we noticed your hour and thirty one minute plus podcast, and we're suggesting that maybe you should break break that into chapters. Imagine if Leo Tolstoy's War oh and Peace goodness. was written without chapters. Yeah, no,
0: it yeah, <laughs> the uh no, listener, it's it's um, you know, for for Ken, we've been friends now since two thousand and nine,
1: something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's when we first met.
0: Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's been um, it's been a long time that that. uh Ken and I have walked into bars and uh, people on first dates um, have just immediately looked tired just by us talking. It's just in their vicinity. They look, they look exhausted. And uh, so, yeah, that's uh, just think, I mean, the, all the relationships we've ruined by merely being in the presence of people trying to have uh amorous passions ignited, but they,
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How about cool. yourself? What's uh what's uh, what's on Gabe's plate for 2024?
0: Um, so we've got some we're gonna do some field work in Southern Maine. We're, we're uh, in between granting cycles. I like that phrase because it implies the money will come again. Yes. Um, and uh, so we're gonna do some work in uh, Southern Maine. Um, I've got some sort of minor writing goals um, related to finishing up the SIP Bay work. Yep. and I say like minor in the sense that they're major writing goals. They're minor in the sense of the deadlines, which are flexible um and then uh we've got some kind of academic goals, which uh kind of growing our program at UNB exploring in particular um ways to make the program particularly relevant for cultural resource management uh, archaeologists so some yep. some ideas in that area that we've talked about um and then uh, in terms of the podcast um I also think that 10,000 listens by this time next year would be awfully nice um and we're aiming for. It. and um we've talked about, I think some content that we want to kind of expand upon. so we um we've had a number of um, uh, indigenous uh, folks that to add some indigenous content to the podcast that we think is really important. Yep. We're excited that that is actually starting to sort of gel to be a, a actual time where we're gonna have those podcasts. Um, and I think one of the things that I'm also excited about, Kind of growing as we move forward with the podcast is, I think that the the kind of hit piece segment that we do um, is really uh, setting the groundwork for almost infinite interviews, right? Yeah, and I think that's a really exciting thing. And so one of the things, if we think about public archaeology, is just trying to think that virtually every hit piece could be um, an interview with someone. That is designed for the general public, and I would be excited to expand upon that.
1: Yep, and and continue to highlight people, um, and promote work that's going on in this uh, in region not not just in our in New Brunswick, but uh, more broadly in the region, and, and that is important for us working in New Brunswick too.
0: Yep, I think that's right, and I think one of the um, other things that Ken and I just wanted to emphasize before we get to our our because listener, Ken insisted we do this. It's not an intrusive feature, it's a real podcast. Uh <laughs> here. Um but and, and going
1: uh, to the going to the stats is because I don't think we get as many listeners for the intrusive features.
0: Yeah. So I mean we we are we're upstreaming and downstreaming synergies here. Exactly. Um, but that uh we just wanted to say we really are appreciative um of all of you who've been tuning in uh for this what is now almost a year. We'll do some big anniversary where Ken will jump out of a cake or something. But the um Yeah. And but you won't you won't know that because there's no visuals. It's a podcast.
1: <laughs>
0: but um but uh no and it's we, we really appreciate kind of connecting with you um every fortnight. And Ken, so I'll say for myself actually, just in terms of goals, I think have I think doing this every two weeks uh has made me a, a better archaeologist.
1: Yeah, I, I I will say that um uh you you dragged me a little bit kicking and screaming into this because I wasn't really uh, I will admit I was in the throes of trying to finish my dissertation and new course preps. And and uh, uh, I have found this to be probably the most enjoyable thing that I've done in the last year in terms of like the consistency um, and uh, and just kind of uh, forcing myself to um, to prepare like you know and read on stuff that, you know, I, I do actually enjoy reading, but I don't always think to prioritize um, and uh, and actually kind of putting into action some of the stuff that we talk about uh when we talk about um public archaeology you know that uh, yeah. I I do totally see why I see the benefit of doing this um and uh, and I enjoy doing it too it's uh, it is fun to to talk to uh uh you know one of my best friends you know yeah, every, I... every couple of weeks and and uh and get to talk shop so that's uh, and to to share those conversations with you listener um i i i think some of the feedback we've had is that people find our uh our, our banter uh uh you know in engaging uh and which is uh, funny listener, you know, because this, this was not the feedback
0: we always got at other points in our lives when we yeah. like, do this you know <laughs> and uh,
1: and it's a great venue for me to uh you know to get my uh get my talking out you know it's uh I, I, yeah I, I i don't know as many people here in lethbridge and so i don't have as many people i can talk their ears off of here
0: yeah, no, and, and at the risk of getting getting mawkish here, and we'll cut this off soon. But the the I I when I explain the the podcast to people, I say, well, you know, one of my dearest friends moved to Alberta, and so we needed an excuse to talk every two weeks. So we said, well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's record it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So yeah, so that that's been good because um, uh, the listener might not know this, but we we actually used to do this every day, or or nearly every
1: day. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. we we we, tr- we took what was a fairly long um text message conversation well what what was everyday conversations in person yeah uh and became sort of frequent text message conversations and uh and and just decided well let's actually talk and then uh and then hit play so here we are yeah um so ken on that
0: um on that note i think uh should we should we switch over to hit pieces but i mean we we're obviously we're at some point we're listening we're thanking the listener i mean because this is it wouldn't be possible without them
1: yeah i think well I actually think we, we should
0: say it would be possible without them we don't want to pin that blame on them but they I, it wouldn't be as fun if there weren't some people I, tuning in
1: yeah and and i think uh i think we enjoy doing this but i think there is a motivation too that uh, um it's really uh it, it is really fantastic to see people engaging with it um I, as somebody who has i think one recorded read on uh uh the article tracking stats uh that like you know or i've been cited once or something yeah, like that yeah. uh you know the impact factors of my of my uh scholarly contributions are are almost um ne- like a, at a negative uh and uh, uh but but knowing that we've reached more people um in you know the last like 11 months doing the show than, than I could ever possibly reach with a, uh, with a peer reviewed publication, I think is actually um, uh, speaks to why we should do this. Right. And, and, yeah. uh, and that we're engaging people. And, and I think listener, I think we're engaging people who wouldn't be picking up that peer reviewed article uh, every week, but that, uh, but are still interested in learning about archeology, span which I think is exactly uh, the kind of audience that we want to have. Yeah,
0: I think that's true, and I don't think I can think of a better place to to leave our uh, our year end listener uh, kind of review for the listener than than that. So yeah, um, so shall we do hit pieces,
1: Ken? I think it's time for hit pieces. All right.
0: A bunch of good hit pieces i think um, for you um and the first one is by um lucia snyderman alexis and i apologize i also have a last name that's hard to pronounce so i'm going to screw this up i think it's michelu but it's m y c h a j i l w and arts piece. Uh, this is a 2023 article And it's in the Bulletin of the Ford Museum of Natural History. And the title is a Holocene seabird extinction in Maine, the great auk. And so great auks, right, are this very cool flightless bird. And this is a kind of good old fashioned zoo archaeology study of the great auk in Maine. And um, there's not that much more to say about it. It's cool. (laughs) You should read it. Um, It's an interesting bird. Um, yeah there's a giant
1: I, a giant flightless bird that uh, used to roam this area
0: yeah what's not to like right yeah um it's hard to believe a giant flightless bird went extinct right i mean imagine a rotisserie chicken that could not go anywhere
1: you know <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah and, kind of uh, like a, they kind of look like a peccary don't they
0: oh i don't know they i mean there's a stuffed one in the in the lobby at the phillips uh
1: endover academy Okay, but yeah, what's a peccary look like a very large like i mean it looks sort of like a you know a dodo or a, 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 a yeah they all kind of look uh, like chunky penguins, oh jeez, a peccary sorry i'm i'm a peccary is like a a pig um, what am I thinking of um I don't know. It's yeah. There's some giant flightless bird that has it's called something like peccary. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: but no, you dodos or oaks.
1: Yeah, so a great auk looks like a like a puffin, like a, a very huge very puffin. large puffin. Yeah, <laughs> huh. The uh, cool. Well, it's it's
0: it's totally worth reading. It's also kind of interesting because I, one of the things about shell heaps, right, is that they preserve interesting ecological data and that can be about extinctions and stuff like that yep yeah exactly Um, and so then i think our next uh i I feel like we're doing this hippie short shrift but i just i I don't know what else there's to say about other than it's it's cool
1: yeah Um, i I mean check it out i'm not i I don't have a whole lot to say about this other one other than it is also cool that uh we have now um a second textbook for the region um yep. or a book on the region the archaeology of the region and so michael deal has published um a book that's like probably um we've seen previous versions of this um yeah. uh but uh, archaeology and the indigenous people of the maritimes um so michael deal who's recently retired at, is he emeritus at munn
0: i am not sure what his position is at munn but he's yeah so he's, he's certainly is, uh, recently retired.
1: Yeah. Recently retired from Memorial University. Um, he taught there for over 30 years. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, a, a it's a book on, uh, so, uh, exclusive the archeology span of the Maritimes. Um, and, uh, Mike has worked, uh, throughout his career in New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, I believe probably also in PEI, um, and dabbled in a little bit of, uh, everything sort of transitional, archaic and early woodland stuff in New Brunswick and in, and in Nova Scotia, lithic quarries, um, I think late in his career, he was doing historic plane wrecks in yep. Newfoundland um, <laughs> and other places. And and so a little bit of everything, but uh, um, a really great contribution. It's got a forward by Roger Lewis, who is um, a heritage uh, uh, officer with the Nova Scotia museum. uh Mi'kma man who um, did his master's on uh, fish weirs actually in, in, yeah, uh, um, right. in Nova Scotia archeology span with, Mike. But, I uh, think. With, yeah, yeah. At Munn. And, um, and so, yeah, so another great contribution to the region. Um, great to have another textbook um, and reference book on the region. I think um, only can get better from here that uh, that we've got, uh, you know, I, I think we've, uh, for anybody who's coming up in regional archaeology now, um, uh, uh, between Gabe and Matt and Mike now, you, you've got two books to read um, that uh, that will distill... The work that many of us spent a lot of time reading through dissertations and trying to kind of coalesce all that stuff ourselves, and uh, and now you guys kind of have reference material that can point you to where you need to go. So,
0: well, it's kind of the old joke, right? That a uh, uh, you know what is it? Uh, Frank Zappa said that a, a country needs a in uh is what is it? A beer in an airline. And uh, yeah,
1: yeah. I was trying to think of what something, and and I and I think it shows. The maturity of uh, research in the region that we yeah. um, have reached a point where there are two books out on regional archaeology now. And and I and I think it, um, as we've learned this year uh, through Hit Pieces, that uh, there's been a lot of work come out in the Northeast recently. And I think that we're seeing a bit of a renaissance in Northeast archaeology. And, and I think that's really exciting for you and I. Um, yeah. And I think that should be really exciting for the listener if you're interested in not just New Brunswick archaeology, but more broadly as well.
0: Yep. And uh, Ken's actually giving a little bit short shrift to that too, because there's also been um, a volume that you were one of the editors on about the Woodland period.
1: Oh yeah, in yeah, this region, you too. might recall yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, uh,
0: the, yeah. The listener may be using that volume actually to to bring the, their computer monitor to a comfortable head height. It's a it's a <laughs> yeah. it's a hefty hefty volume, yeah. and of course the archaic volume by Sanger Rudolph in 2006, and then uh, when you have the lens books that's 2012 but L- Indian L- period? Indian one. yeah yeah so so uh so all sorts of good stuff out there and i think um and i think ken you know if if, if we we're sort of end this on uh you know it's the end of the year right but the i think one of the the things that i've been really excited about this year is just i don't know if there's been a better time to be a northeast archaeologist
1: no i don't and at least in our careers i don't think there has been you know and, no. and um it's uh there's energy, I think that there hadn't been for some time. Um, And, uh, and I think it's really exciting. I think that we, you and I um, have uh, a number of colleagues who we get to work with, who we communicate with, with some frequency. And, you know, I think that it's fun to be able to kind of fire off an email to a bunch of people, uh, just to ask a question and get, and we're all sort of, we've become friends through just, professional relationships right and and uh and we can all kind of get in on a joke and and have fun with it when and and answer each other's questions right and and i think that's i think that shows how healthy the research is here as well um and i think uh, so too um and um it's it's a sign of good times
0: i think so too and i think they're only going to get better because i think uh, a lot of folks that are doing the work are are great folks yep and i think that um the uh, you know, one other just, just thing I think to be excited about is that um, I think we've become a region that's in dialogue with other regions, yes, and so I think a lot of what we're seeing is is um, you know, people that are that are comfortable engaging with big questions, and I think that's you know, I mean, if if uh, we, we kind of had Matt on talking about this, um, but I think uh, some of what Matt uh, Betts was talking about. You know, we're really seeing that, you know, folks talking about, you know, all of a sudden, you know, like New Brunswick is in big journals, right? I mean, you had an article in a big journal. We, uh, Nathaniel Kitchell had, you know, Northern Maine in a big journal. There's all sorts of good stuff going on. I think Ken, uh, maybe we've we've reached the the bottle of uh we're, we're, you know full bottle in of Covassier.
1: yeah, yeah, and uh, and I think that's a good way to to wrap up the year and and so yeah. listener, this is probably going reach your reach your radio um very close to the uh might be in the new year, I guess if we go for the fortnight, um we, but we could uh, but...
0: try to drop this like they dropped the sardine in Eastport. You I, know, I, on, I feel New like, I feel like landing
1: this maybe shortly after boxing day might be uh, on the 27th when you've maybe uh, started to put the ornaments away and you're just relaxing, reading a book that you got for, for the holidays. And we could do and, that uh, too. Put on your favorite podcast and, and, and with that
0: so and once you're done your favorite podcast but it's just it's auto filled and so ours is come on
1: (laughs) yeah um and you're like oh okay i'm not doing it for the next three hours i guess i'll just sit exactly exactly and and i think that one more time um we want to thank uh and sincerely thank uh if you are listening to this um we really appreciate you giving us our time um we really appreciate you uh listening for five seconds for five minutes for 20 minutes or you know the however many hours uh you're you're able to stick around and and uh and hear us kind of ramble on and and um uh uh, it is it has been a a really fun year to do this in and uh and we and like you know i i i wish i had more to say than just like thank you um uh and thank you for continued support and for uh um, you know, continuing to listen and, and sharing, sharing the podcast with your friends and, and, uh, and, you know, growing the listenership. I think that that is, um, we hope that we're doing a good thing here and I feel like we are and, and, uh, uh, anything that we can do to make it better too. Uh, we're, we're always happy to hear from you and, yeah. and, uh, happy to get emails just cause, uh, I, I find it really amusing to read them and, and, uh, and it's really great to hear from different people about how they're how they're receiving the show, too. So that's that's uh, uh, that's been really fun. And so thanks once again.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure there's anything I can add to that other than um, just to kind of reiterate that we think archaeology is really fun. And we think sharing yeah. it with you is really fun. And um, it turns out it's archaeology is even more fun. We're sharing it with people that are excited about archaeology. So we appreciate <laughs> uh appreciate the opportunity to do that and um we look forward to chatting with you in the new year so um we hope that you and yours are having a good holiday and uh we'll talk to you in about a fortnight i think
1: yeah and so uh cheers gabe to uh cheers ken uh, to closing off 2023 there we are and uh uh and to the listener cheers to you and and as gabe said uh safety and and have a happy holidays and safe and warm and and uh hopefully filled with good food and good friends. That's right. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye listeners.